0: Welcome, everyone, to episode one of the Pete Talks to the People podcast. It's pretty exciting to have my first podcast out there, but I don't want to do a big, long intro. I want to get right to our interview. My guest today is my friend and colleague, Sadie Kensler. We're going to be talking about education, distance learning, and what it's like to do that while also having a child distance learning at home. This interview was taped a couple months ago at the beginning of the school year. So some of the things we talk about are maybe not totally contemporaneous for What's going on now? But I think the conversation is still very interesting. I hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. This is Pete O'Farrell with his first ever podcast. And um, as we talked about earlier, we are going to be doing conversations with people split into two different parts so that we could have thoughtful, thought provocative, and conversations that you don't always have to be on your toes for, but where you could give thoughtful answers to. My first ever guest is my friend and colleague, Sadie Kensler. Sadie is a seventh grade teacher diving headfirst into the world of distance learning while also attempting to lead her new kindergarten in her first year of elementary school. Hi, Sadie. Welcome to the program.
1: Hi, Pete.
0: That's a lot on your plate. So let me just ask you one easy question first. How are you feeling?
1: Stressed. Nervous, anxious, a little bit excited to actually meet my students. Actually, a lot excited to actually meet my students, but um, nervous for my daughter, especially.
0: One part of this is, you know, we were thrust into this. Nobody made this choice. Um, how are you approaching this year? First, as a first, as a parent, how are you approaching your uh, this year with your five-year-old?
1: I am. Well, we got. I got her computer that had a little touch screen because she already knew how to use a tablet and trying to, tried to get her a little bit used to the actual technology. Um, and then just t- telling her, hey, this is going to be kind of weird, but you're going to make some friends. You might meet some of them in person. You will eventually, but it's going to be a lot of time on the screen. And then she had just the greatest thing to say. I said to her once, I was like, it's going to be really weird it's gonna be hard and she's like mama it's not gonna be weird it's just gonna be different it's okay and it just reminded me that like she she's never been to kindergarten so she doesn't really know what it's supposed to be like
0: that's a really good point and i you know i think maybe we've all under underestimated the students in a lot students are so resilient you know they kind of bounce go with the flow much better than sometimes we do as an as adults so as a parent, you, you got your daughter the tech, you got her, you got her ready. Do you, do you feel like she's excited? Do you, how is she feeling about this?
1: She doesn't have any idea. She's, she doesn't really realize that kindergarten is starting on Tuesday. I've told her, <laughs> but she's like, I'm going to be at a computer, but that's not school. So she, she's not excited because she doesn't get it.
0: Did you buy her any school supplies? Did you get her a backpack? I did, and
1: I'm planning on, she hasn't seen it yet because I was planning on surprising her with it on Tuesday. She's really into fairies, so I got her a little Tinkerbell backpack and all sorts of things to go in it. and she's getting a brand new school outfit to wear on the first day, though she'll probably ditch it and wear her Tinkerbell costume because that's what she does. Um, So I'm trying to do my best to like get excited. I've also set up a little workspace for her and I to kind of sit across the
0: table from each other. Maybe different than some other kids, she has a mom who's a teacher. So she knows what school is. Uh, Maybe it's school to her is where mom goes every day. But she has an idea, maybe other than some other kindergartners, of what school is. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think um, she's expecting? I know you said she's not excited, but do you think she's like going into your class, or do you think she's uh, she has no expectations?
1: Well, she actually she was in preschool um, up until March, and so she had a class, and she was in a class with kids. So she was really, I think she was expecting something like that, but she knows that's not happening. So... She and she has been to my school and been to my classroom and hung out there. And so I think she was expecting that. But now that that's not happening, she I've tried to explain to her, remember what I did in the spring and I was talking to students on the computer? That's going to be you. And so she's like, "Uh, (laughs) that's not really school. Um, So she's just she's just really trying to wrap her head around it. And she's a very thoughtful little kid. So I know that she's she's thinking about it, but hopefully it'll hit her when we actually start and talk to her teacher. We don't even know what the teacher's name yet
0: is at oh, this point. That's yeah. something that you talked about earlier, right?
1: We've had very, very minimal contact with the actual school and no contact with her teacher yet.
0: Which is you know um, surprising, but also uh, what we've gone through as educators, I think, we recognize that things are still being figured out in the 11th hour. So just to transition a little bit to your preparation as a teacher now, um, you've gotten your daughter ready for kindergarten, and now you're getting ready for seventh grade. Um, what, are, what has been your approach this year uh, to be ready for comprehensive distance learning?
1: Well I have two new teaching partners this year and so a lot of my job the last few days that we've been having teacher meetings and um, organizing ourselves is getting to know each other and getting to know our strengths as far as planning and so we've got um, one person that's real good with organization and making everything super pretty on in the digital format so she's that's going to be her goal and her job. Got another one that's real good at the restorative justice and doing circles and just um, community building activities. And um, so we're all going to lean on each other. And then I've got a lot of just like, here's how we get to know each other in a normal year. So we're going to work together to put those together. Um, So we're kind of just working on that and thinking about how how, how to possibly connect with students when we're not actually going to be with them face to face because it's hard enough in a normal year to get to know them and even remember their names. Um, So just working on that stuff because the actual academic stuff right now at this moment is secondary.
0: If you were to imagine how an ideal beginning of the school year with distance learning would be, what, what kind of things are you seeing from students? What kind of things are you seeing from teachers in kind of the best case scenario?
1: In the best case scenario, uh, they magically all have access and internet and devices, which is definitely going to be an issue. Um, and I'm really worried about that. They all can use those that technology seamlessly. And then they're all on whenever we want them to be. And whenever the schedule happens and they get on and they participate and they're, um, using their cameras and using their faces and their voices to communicate all together. I don't see any of that working seamlessly though.
0: No, I I don't think any of us were, I don't think it's going to be the best case scenario. I don't think it's going to be the worst case scenario, but one thing I have um, thought about a lot is students FaceTime each other all the time. Students send gifs or gifs, depending on who you, how you pronounce it to each other. Yes. Uh, They are students have, um, students are nativists with a lot of this technology and a lot of the relationships with each other have been built over screens. Um, is there a way that we can em- kind of embrace that? Is Do you think students maybe are better prepared for this than we are as teachers?
1: I would hope so. However, if spring, when we totally got thrown into it, is any indication that went terribly and kids were not engaged and they didn't um, they weren't involved and they didn't care but i'm hoping that since they also got thrown into it and they just didn't see it they didn't take it very seriously hopefully they will more this year and realize that this is how our life is right now and so just to roll with it um and so if we can break down that wall of just realizing that this is school Um, then yeah, absolutely, they'll be able to do those videos and do those things to engage themselves digitally like they do all the time every day up until three o'clock in the morning when their parents are trying to get them to go to sleep.
0: For sure. Which we always see the next morning when they're sleeping in our classes.
1: (laughs) Yes, head down, sleeping, and will we see that on Zoom or on Google Meets, whatever we're using? Um, Probably. (laughs) And
0: I fully agree with you. The spring was a disaster, I think, Uh, For a lot of reasons, we didn't have any expectations for the kids. We didn't have any expectations for us as teachers. Um, We really, you know, on one hand, I think it was a huge missed opportunity because we could have been, not for education, I think there was a little too much chaos, but we could have been trying new stuff. We could have been throwing stuff against the wall to see what stuck. And I know myself as an educator, I was a little disappointed with myself uh, for not trying more new things to get students involved. That said, I don't think we have that excuse. Last year, we had the excuse, nobody knew it was coming. Um, you know, all the bad analogies of, you know, building the airplane while it's in air and all that kind of thing. But uh, this year, we don't have that excuse. So what would you, I guess, we talked about, you know, what your hopes are. What, you know, what do you fear um, going into this year? What do you fear from both at you as a teacher and from what students will get?
1: Well, my biggest fear is just equitable education and not the kids not having access. And um, you and I have talked about this before, and I've been stressing about this since March um, that, yeah, they were able to get Chromebooks and they're we're getting more out this year, but still the Internet access we work with a Uh, highly there's a lot of low-income families in our district and they don't all have internet access and I don't see the district doing enough to really help with that Um, and giant corporations that have the money and the the tools to push that out they're not uh, none of that is happening and it's stressing me out hopefully I'm wrong and things will work better than then my fears happen but or my fears are imagining um but that is my biggest fear that they just won't be able to access or other factors for them um will impede their education like there's teach middle school so they have younger siblings and might have to help them get on or babysit them or just you know keep the house under control while their parents are off at work Um, So, just all the factors that make it really hard for students to engage with education. Those are things that I don't have any control over. Um, I can help them and try to give them as many asynchronous ideas to do school at different times, but um, that really worries me. As far as being a teacher though. I don't know, just, yeah, I don't wanna get into the rut of using the same technology over and over because then they get bored. Um, I know that I'm pretty good at coming up with creative ideas and got these two new teachers that are really awesome at coming up with creative new ideas, it seems. So um, pretty optimistic as far as the things that we can control.
0: I'm very excited about next week talking to the families because I have a lot of the same worries as you. and I know that they're out there, but I want to see what those individual barriers are for those families. I want to talk to the families and, say, oh, I don't have internet. How can we solve that? And I agree with you. It's ridiculous that our district, our city, our state, all the corporations all together haven't just said every student has Wi-Fi in their house. I mean, it's you know ridiculous that we can't just get that for our students. You know, we've had seems each-
1: like a pretty easy problem to fix if
0: right it's it's one of those you don't have wi-fi we give you wi-fi mm-hmm. um the the downside is minimal the cost is minimal um i'm curious though on how you think so for those families that maybe a head of household is a 13 year old because the parents or family are at work or there's multiple siblings how can we as teachers um leverage that into a learning opportunity take those barriers and make it i wouldn't say part of the curriculum but make it part of the learning experience and give the students credit for managing that
1: well like i said before um so my thought on that my initial thought is to give them more opportunities to do asynchronous learning which for our non education folks out there means they can do it on their own time synchronous is live asynchronous is whenever you want to do it so a recorded thing they could do later um, give them the opportunity for that but um also i teach language arts and so um i haven't really thought about how to give them credit for doing those things however we're going to be really focusing on storytelling and um having them tell their stories from their point of view and from other people's point of view and reflecting on those in different ways Um, so, you know, not giving credit for actually like making lunch for their, for their sibling, but telling the story about it and telling us, um, how they feel about it and using, you know, practicing their grammar while they're doing that kind of stuff as well. Um, but that's a really interesting thing to think about as we go further.
0: So many times last year, I told my history class that, Look, you're, li- you're living in history. This is it. Keep a journal. I don't
1: want to hear it anymore, Mr. O'Farrell.
0: Oh, yeah, no, I had one student <laughs> tell me, Mr. O'Farrell, I'm tired of living in history. And it's true, we all are. But uh, you know, I, I keep thinking about that, how we could use this time. I know as an eighth grade history teacher, we're going to focus very much on the election. We're going to focus on how do people vote? What are people voting for? Why are people voting? These are things that are gonna be central to our um, curriculum, because a student could put their head down. A student can misbehave and possibly get sent out of class. There's a ways for students to get out of work in class, but it's a lot harder than just turning off your screen. It's a lot harder than just you know walking away from a screen. It's a lot harder than not logging on. So we have to give them reasons to log off we no longer have a captive audience. So even if that means that we deviate from our core curriculum in a, in a way that makes it more interesting for them, how, would, how do you see that happening? How do you see it changes in your curriculum to make students want to log on?
1: Um, trying to get them to connect with each other and giving them that opportunity for Kind of social time that will be you know we'll talk about school stuff but as i said from the beginning the academics right now are going to be are going to come second um so focusing even more so than normal on making connections as a class with each other and um because even if that has a solid academic bonus for me for them it can be just fun and feel good because even, you know, they might be talking on Snapchat and all the other things with their friends, they can have bigger conversations and get some of those thoughts out that, you know, in the last six months, they've just been sitting in their room and um, not interacting with at least bigger groups of people. Um, So building a lot of that in.
0: One of the weaknesses I had as a teacher last year, and I think one of the weaknesses or challenges maybe our school and our school district has faced is um, working with families. And I would like to think this is an opportunity for us because it's so critical for the teachers and the school to be partners with families and guardians in, make, in getting their, um, their kids education. What do you think, How do you think you're going to approach family relationships differently this year than you have in the past? And how have you done it in the past?
1: Um, I mean, in the past, I've sent out usually kind of just a quarterly email to to parents with like a a newsletter of sorts saying, here's what my class is all about. Here's what we're up to this quarter. and contact me if you have any questions and then i'll c- contact individual families on a kind of ad as needed basis or if they contact me first and then we have the conferences and things like that to just check in with families throughout the year um but this year there will definitely be a lot more of that I, I, even in the spring i did usually more like a weekly email to students and families saying here's what we're doing here's what Um, here's what we have on our plate this this week Um, here's the different places even though we've given this to many many times um, just so they can't get lost and they can't get even as teachers this week in getting all the information to organize our school year most teachers are lost in this digital pile of information and so I just keep looking at that and having empathy for kids and families about there's they have so much information coming their way um or they will not quite yet but they will and so to help them navigate help them um realize that we're all in this together and that we all that teachers are on their side on the family's side and on the kids side to help them out if they feel lost or overwhelmed or um Need help in anything that isn't even academic, but just make sure that we we all need to have those connections, not just the kids, but the parents do.
0: And uh, the same type of question what is your expectation as a parent from your daughter's teacher?
1: Well, I, I don't know anything about kindergarten, <laughs> but I just kind of assume that that is often how it works. You know, even in a normal year, I, I from what I've gathered from friends of mine that have slightly older kids, like kindergarten parents or kindergarten teachers are much more involved in parents' lives generally because they only they only have one group of kids, right? I have over 100 students, so I can't talk daily with each of those families, but if my daughter is in a class of 25 or 30, I have no idea, um, it'll be much easier for that kindergarten teacher to contact us and we have also the benefit of i mean one positive thing is that the teacher will be on video and so i can actually face-to-face talk with this teacher i can pop on when my kid is on there and um see what's going on and at least some of the time i will be with her while she's doing her classes so i can be more involved i don't want to be that like kindergarten helicopter mom but um It'll be fun to see what she's doing and watch her a little bit. She's also um I don't think I mentioned this earlier. She's going to be doing Spanish immersion pre or kindergarten. Very nice. Playing a whole nother layer into it. Um
0: so just you do speak Spanish.
1: I do, yes, I do speak Spanish. Um, so I'll be able to help her with that and that will be she doesn't speak Spanish fluently, but she understands a lot, and so she's really nervous about it, but I talk to her all the time about how, girl, like, you've heard so much Spanish. You have such an advantage over a lot of the kids that don't know any, and their parents don't know any, Um, so.
0: That brings up an interesting point, though. You you said you could pop in. You could go to your daughter's class, which isn't something that you'd be able to do on a regular basis because you're working. And there are parents I know that visit course classes, but that's not something that you know a teacher is always invited or organized. How as a teacher do you feel about a parent popping into your class? And especially with um, the civil rights marches going on right now, the Black Lives Matter movement, um, I'm going to address it in my class. I'm sure you're gonna address it in your class. We know we come from a very diverse school population that has lots of different views. How are you gonna address that? And how are you gonna address that from a sense of like, does it change that knowing a parent could be looking over their son or daughter's shoulders?
1: It does, but that's not a new thing that I've done in my classes. I mean, I teach language arts, but I am a social studies teacher in my soul. And so I always cover a lot of current events and um, controversial topics. So to say, um, and that'll often come up at conferences with parents. And I've always had parents that are like, "Well, I hope we're, you're looking at it from all sides." Like, Absolutely. Um, and I I've always encouraged students that have have maybe a different point of view from the rest of the class to to speak their mind. And and I've never had a huge issue with other students. Um, you know, at least vocally putting those students down, like everybody gets to kind of share their thoughts. So having the parents look in, um, hopefully students will also be, you know, just as respectful as they have been in my actual classes. Again, those are things that happen, the building up of community and culture during the first few weeks. Um, so if parents can see, oh yeah, we're talking about this tough stuff, but all the students are participating and all the students are listening. Like that's what school's about is to learn different points of view Um, and that I am not in any way indoctrinating the students. Um, But
0: yeah, I mean, I, I think sometimes they're better equipped to deal with it than us because I remember vividly two students who were arguing loudly about Trump Um, in my classroom, and they walked away with their arms around each other, not because they came across some, you know, middle ground that they both could agree on, but because they were arguing because they were 13-year-olds, and that's what 13-year-olds do, and then they were buddies, and so they were buddies two minutes later, and it was great, and um, I I think about that a lot as, you know, the way we discuss things, and that, you know, we get so emotional, and these are very emotional issues, and we're talking about people's, you know, humanity. So it it can be incredibly emotional. But no, I think you're right. As teachers, we have to talk about, I wouldn't say both sides, but we have to talk about what the issues are, how to critically break them down, how to critically think about them so students can come to their own conclusions.
1: Well, yeah, give them the information and let them express their ideas um, in whatever way they want. But wouldn't that be so cool if parents did walk in on that? Right. See, see those, like, cause not, there's a lot of adults that cannot have those conversations without getting mad at each other and then not talking ever again. Um,
0: so we'll see. But, well, we're kind of getting to a point now where I think um, we're gonna wrap this up a little bit, but I would like to kind of open it up to you. Is there something that I didn't ask? Is there something I would, you were hoping to talk about that maybe I didn't go down that direction?
1: Um, just, I just keep thinking as we're planning this year, like, what, what are we getting into and how long is this going to last? And, um, so I'm just, I'm really curious, um, what I was putting in my calendar today. I was kind of planning things out and I got to January 4th, which is the day we're supposed to go back to school. And um, I was like, okay, so we go back to school. Are we going to be there in person? Are we going to not? Um, and just, it'll be interesting to see what the, what the kids' thoughts are around that. Like, are we in this forever? Do they feel like we're in this forever? Cause we have been for six months and that is basically forever for a 13 year old um, or not. And if it does go beyond that, how are we going to deal with that? If we do come back in January, how are we going to deal with that? Um, anyway, bigger, longer conversations for a later date and looking into the future.
0: Right, and you know my my view on this has been, you know, I know it's going to be challenging, and I know especially for working parents, this is going to be almost an impossibility. But I am hopeful. I'm hopeful because I think this is going to make us better teachers. A lot of the things I don't do well, I'm having to improve upon right now. I'm hopeful because I think it's gonna make better students. I think they're gonna learn new ways to learn. And though this year may not be the exemplar where people just shine, I think in the long run, this hiccup is actually gonna possibly be an impetus to change the education system, um, to bring in more diversity in how students learn and and how teachers teach. Um, I had one student last year who really struggled in the classroom, did not come to class a lot, never did any work, and thrived in distance learning. Um, I'm not saying that's everybody, in fact it's the minority, but the fact that- I had
1: a few like that too.
0: Right, and that's great, Um, and that's, as when we go back, we shouldn't forget that, that other students can learn maybe through distance learning in a better way, and now we'll be equipped to to do that. Um, I'm very curious on how it's gonna go as well. I would like to kind of pause our conversation there. I think that's, you know, as we talked about at the beginning of this podcast, the idea is to have an open conversation, go away for a week or two or whenever we can get back together, think about the conversation, think about what we said, think about what we heard, come back, and pick one or two points to expand upon, to update, to change our mind on, to allow ourselves to realize that what we say in the moment or what we think at any given moment can be changed or expanded upon or hardened and give ourselves the ability to have that conversation. So I wanna thank you, Sadie, for uh, part one of our conversation. I'm excited to uh, go back and just for the listeners to hear, I will send Sadie, the uh, audio, she can listen to it or not as she wishes. Um, I'm going to listen to it and try to pick out areas that seem the most interesting to me to expand upon, and, and Sadie will pick the areas that are most interesting to her. And then we'll have another short discussion about it in a couple weeks. And then...
1: As we all get more and more used to watching ourselves and listening to ourselves anyway during this whole teaching. Yeah.
0: We're all stars now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, those, you go to the grocery store, you see those as seen on TV, like little bins.
1: Oh, that's me now. Yeah, that's us. Mm -hmm.
0: We're all all movie stars. Uh, So thank you very much for your time. And I look forward to talking to you again, officially since we talk, you know, all the time anyway, officially in a couple weeks.
1: (laughs) Sounds good. Thank you.
0: Welcome back to part two of the interview with Sadie Kensler. We are now three weeks from our first interview and a lot has happened in the world as it does in 2020. Our school was delayed a week due to the smoke and fires in Oregon, and we didn't get started until this week. But we have just finished our first week of comprehensive distance learning. And it's a good time to get touch base again with Sadie. And what we're going to do today in today's episode is we're both going to pick one topic from episode number one. And we're going to dive a little bit deeper into it. We're going to discuss that one topic with a little bit more depth and clarity, and you know, really try to get into um some of the ideas and possibly solutions and see where the conversation goes. So welcome back, Sadie.
1: Hello, nice to be here.
0: Let's start off. We just finished our first week of comprehensive distance learning. We talked a lot about it last episode, talking about um, what we expected and what we hoped. After one week, what is your verdict?
1: Uh, Yeah, after that last time it was really abstract and now we know how it's gonna go. And um, after one week, I was just describing to my students today um, the weather that's in my head. It was a warm-up question. What kind of weather do we feel in our head and in our bodies and in our souls? And I said, I feel like I'm in the, like, the beautiful sunny morning after a big storm because the first few days was stormy. Like It was cloudy. It was tough. It was, the kids didn't know where to go. They were cutting out. I was cutting out. Um, it was really, really difficult. And then I feel like finally today, it's only the fourth day, but I feel like, okay, we can sit back and chat with each other and also start learning some things. And so those glitches, the technological glitches have gone away and, um, we're finally able to get to know each other a little bit. And it's seeming a little bit more like a real class still isn't fun, but.
0: I've been having fun with them and kind of relating certain things in certain ways to the old ways and the new ways. For example, with about two to three minutes left in class, you know, you're kind of winding up your lesson. You're asking if there's any more questions and you're hearing crickets. There's no one has a question. Nobody wants to talk. And I you know, say, right now is the time that if we were in class, you'd be gathering your books and trying to stand by the door. And I'd be yelling at you that you, I don't, uh, the bell doesn't release you, but I release you and trying to get them to sit back down. And they seem to enjoy that. So that's been fun to kind of realize that the rhythm of class is not that different, even with um, it being a distance learning versus in person.
1: Yeah. It's, it's really strange when it's just like work time though. Cause I've had some of that and it's just like these silent faces or silent dots. And I'm like, how's everybody doing out there? Like, yeah, I'm doing my thing. And they're all filling these surveys out and filling, I don't know, they're giving me information. I can see it on Google Classroom, but it is, um, I, I wish I could just go and like sit by their desk and chat with them and look over their shoulder and see what they're doing.
0: So. I would say, you know, the, the, the happiest I've been or the most, um, the most heartened I've been is there's a number of students whose parents I talked to before the school year started who's, who were very concerned that their child would not do well. Um, They were shy or depressed, or they had something going on that made school really hard for them. And a number of those students have been thriving for me, really thriving. They could use the chat box, they could talk in other ways, and they've just really been, you know, probably way more involved than they would be in a classroom. I think the toughest thing is what you just alluded to is it will be very challenging for me to, students can hide. Students cannot say anything all class, and it's, it's hard for me to notice. You know, there's not a, place where they're sitting where I'm like oh that back right corner's been awful quiet you notice that physically in a classroom mm-hmm. where online you know even their little boxes are moving around the room they're not sitting in a certain place you you don't get a feel for where a certain voice is coming from so that's the that's going to be the toughest part I think mm-hmm.
1: well and sometimes that there's their cameras not on and it's just a little dot and you I mean like you that kid could have could be outside like they're not it's they're not responding to what you're saying and they're just it's it's hard to know who's even actually physically by their computer anymore and um and then there's the the issue that we've i mean we've talked about it as a school and as a dis- district as to whether we can force students to have their camera on and that's an uh issue of equity and like whatever's going on in their background we don't want to force them to However, it's hard to know what they're doing.
0: I had one student who I knew pretty well where I'm like, and, you know, obviously I will not use student's name here, but student, student, I want you to type something. Student, are you there? I see your dot. Student, no response. I'm like, hmm, I bet that student is not uh, in the room.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been happening too much.
0: Well, I was just going to dive into, you know, I listened again to our podcast and I think we hit a lot of really interesting points. And like I said, I wanted you to pick one point and for me to pick one point and to dive deeper. And when we were talking about the podcast, I think one of the, you had a couple points and one of them we really agreed on. We, one of them, we both picked out from the original podcast. And I'm going to say, you know, it's kind of how we are. You said it was how we are in a student's um, home now we see their home, we see how they work. I would also say the, what I'm noticing is the expense of poverty. We have a lot of students who are, you know, would be considered poor. And what I'm seeing when I say the expense of poverty is, the students who have means, um, if their computer breaks, their family can go get a new one or go get a fix. Uh, Maybe there's a family member at home who could run and get a new cord or they have another computer they could swap in and out. Um, My students who are, you know, have a little bit more challenging environment, their computer breaks, that's it. You know, they're maybe neither their parents' home because they're both working. Maybe the charger isn't there. Maybe th- more than one person is using the charger. And I just wanted to ask you, um, first of all, what are your experiences with that in this first week? And second, what can we do about it?
1: What comes to mind first is a student of mine just today. She had her little brother <clears throat> who was probably about two. And then also another sibling that's like, um, I think she said he was in first grade and she was in charge of them today. And so this little, the little bitty was running around doing things and she had her camera on most of the time and the kid was adorable, but then it meant that she couldn't really engage with class so much. And then the first grader was like, Hey sister, can you help me with this? And to try to just log on to different things. And, um, it brings to mind, you know, what I was saying, what you're saying about if, if, um, a parent could stay home, the parent probably can't stay home in that situation because Mm -hmm. who knows how, I don't know how many parents are at home or even if she lives with parents, I don't know the whole situation. I know that she's, um, um, last year she had a lot of discipline issues and Mm -hmm. now she's at least she's on, she's doing stuff on the computer and, um, she's working, to do that, but it's, it's not gonna be sustainable. Like she's gonna, she's gonna get to a point where it is too hard. I'm sure she's 12 and she's having to take care of two kids and do school. It's not easy. Um, I've had multiple students that don't have um, sound, you know, they're trying really hard. They're like, but, but Miss Kensler, like the sound, the, there's no microphone, there's no microphone. Like, okay, do you have, did you try to go get a computer from school? Because if you have one from school, they could help you no, I can't because I can't get over there. It's too far for me to go <laughs> on my own. And my parents are working. And so we don't have a way to, to work it out. And so then as I've been talking to different kids, you know, we're, that's part of ta- uh, the teachers and the school in general, like getting more involved in what's going on at home. Like we always have a little bit, but now it's bringing that equipment into the home and trying to figure out how to get that to the kid, Um, and them you know talking to them more after hours about those technical technical issues and just hearing what's going on in their homes is interesting
0: and you know we you know we don't have any computers right now at the school they hope to be getting more, but it's you know it's it's a waiting period it's not something where the family's going to go out and get a new Chromebook, get a new charger, get a new camera um, there you know and every time those waiting periods is a chance for that student to fall behind so when we yep. talk about the digital divide or we talk about the divide by race or by class or by anything. It's those one, two, three days you miss because then you come back into class. You're being What were we you. doing? <laughs> what were we doing? What are you doing? You're trying to explain it as best to them, but you have 25 other students who are, you know, trying to also um, understand what's going on. And you want to take that extra time, but sometimes it just becomes frustrating. It becomes frustrating as adults. And for a 13-year-old who... Well, and also,
1: yeah, no, just, like, the kids that are turning in work but not coming to class and just having to be, like, yeah, that's, again, probably an issue about stuff going on at home. Like, you can't be, expect them to be online all the time if they're taking care of other siblings or if there's, like, three other people trying to use the same computer. Um, And so we, as you know, like, our attendance system, we're trying to work it out, so it's like, okay, if they show up, but then it's still, it's impossible for us to track every single one of them within those 24 hours to see when and how they show up. And so then they end up getting a call from the school. Oh, Hey, this kid wasn't in class. And then, I don't know. You don't want them to have discipline issues from their parents (laughs) on top of everything else when, Oh no, they actually did work. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to call them out and get them in trouble. I don't know. There's just so many different paths that these things can take and it's really difficult.
0: Though I will say, I think the calls home from school, at least on the reports back, I've heard, I haven't made that many because we've been teaching and we've (laughs) had these amazing IAs who have been doing the calls and just awesome. From what I hear is they've been really supportive calls. Hey, your student wasn't in class today. Is there something we could help you with? Is there a way we could help? and this is something we should be doing all the time this is something that schools should be doing we should be in partnership with the families we should be in partnership with the guardians because we can't do this alone and they can't do it alone
1: well and that's what part of what i was saying when i was how when we brought up this issue it's like the intersection of school and home yeah i like i said i've always you know kind of talked to the parents but this is it's so much more and i i for the most part i do really enjoy it because then you get to know them. You get to know what's going on a whole lot more and have empathy for them turning work in late or, you know, coming up with ideas that can somehow connect to what they're doing at home and how life is at home with these like seven siblings that they have or whatever.
0: How many years have you been teaching?
1: This is my 11th.
0: This is your 11th. This is my second year. So who better to solve this problem? What should we do? (laughs)
1: I have all of the answers, all of them. Um, yeah, I wish <laughs> to solve the problem of. I mean, getting I think technology to work, or. Well, I
0: th- I think it's you know what what is our role as teachers? What can we do as teachers in schools to make it less expensive to be poor in a school system?
1: Well, we need to be able, and we talked about this the first time, we need to be able to get Chromebooks to every single kid. We need to be able to get internet to every single kid. And the Chromebooks that we have at school, at least the ones that were in my classroom, they're old. They're like at least five years old, six years old, and they've been used by so many students. There's money in the world. There's technology in the world that needs to get out there to kids if we're going to be continuing this distance learning thing for months and months or longer, there's the money in the world from the different corporations that have it and the different people that have it needs to be better distributed to these students and
0: help them out. I think the technology is half the solution. I think getting a Chromebook and internet is the absolute bare minimum we should do to every single student. And I I completely agree with you. there's there's the money to do it but even if there wasn't the money to do it we should just do it it you can't survive today and we're talking about getting kids ready for entering life entering the workforce everything is going to be online now you you have to get them ready but I think the other thing that I'm recognizing is families need help and they need uh psychosocial help we need we have two counselors at our school right now who I honestly, I don't think I've ever emailed either of them without getting an immediate response at nine o'clock at night, at eight o'clock at night. They are never off. I've never seen people work as hard as our two counselors for 900 students. We need to- Well, and again,
1: going going back into the intersection of school and home, yeah, this school, it's becoming so much more apparent in the country. and I mean, in the world too, but in our whole country that school is childcare school is mental health care school is food and that's fine when school when kids can go to school but when they can't go to school that that issue or it becomes much more of a issue because we can't get that help out to students as easily as possible and they don't have that safe place to be but um yeah, I don't I don't have the answer. I wish I had the answer of how to yeah, get those services, get the get child care for people, safe child care for families that need it for those little or siblings, but it's not safe. I'm having the same issue at, with me and my kindergartner like it would be so much easier to send her to a childcare, but I don't really feel safe with that.
0: Well, and I I think you said, you know, we don't know what to do. I think we all do know what to do. It's actually a pretty easy solution. We just don't, We it just has to be in our morality and our priority to do it. You know, the getting more counselors, getting more nurses, getting more technology out to the kids and being much more engaged is a thing of like, we need to hire more people and we need more money into the system to do it. When we are cutting programs because... You know, the, the tax revenues aren't coming in because of a global shutdown. You know, we're actually just borrowing from the future. All this is going to turn into more people in the school-to-prison pipeline, into more people that, you know, are going to need, you know, potentially public assistance, which is not a bad thing, but it's just, it's going to be one of those things that we're going to end up paying for this because we decided not to make the investments up front. Um, and this is not revolutionary. Anybody who's been working in this area knows this. But I feel like it is one of those things that we just, I don't know why we, we have not been able to put that on the ballot.
1: Well, and it kind of goes with, um, you know, just lately, especially with the Breonna Taylor's verdict just came out like two days ago. And so there's the um, there's been all these memes that are going out or all these different things on the social media that are like, no, the system's not broken this is. people keep saying the system is broken the system is broken no it's not broken it is it never worked in the beginning right right? so and that's about more the policing system and the the social services system at for adults in the whole world but this also goes for education like it's it the social services for students and for kids it's not broken it just really needs to be totally rebuilt in a different way, especially now that we're doing things totally differently.
0: Completely. And when you think about, you know, our carceral system, how many families are ripped apart because people are in prison? How many mm-hmm. families? Um, I, I had students last year who I remember one student in particular. His dad had just gotten home from jail and was being deported, and
1: mm-hmm. great family,
0: yeah. you know, and the kid was just devastated, absolutely yeah. devastated, and. I understood, and there's nothing we could do. We sat there, and I just said, "I want to help, and I don't know how." Yep. Which re- makes me think the par- the parental side of this. Now, okay. you know, you've been teacher from uh, eight thirty to two thirty, and you have a student in your house, also from those times, or you will be. Um, mm-hmm. How are you dealing with this now as a parent, now that your daughter has been in kindergarten for what, a week, two weeks?
1: Just a week. Um, Cause they, so last week was just little morning meetings. So basically her and I had the first same day of real full full school. And um, so she's at this point, it's starts a little bit earlier than us and ends a little earlier than us. So I can get her started. And yesterday was the first day that it was really just her and I, because other times her dad was stepping in a little bit. Um, We had some help. And yesterday, um, so that was Wednesday, Tuesday night, I was like, sweetie, tomorrow's gonna be tough. (laughs) I have to work the whole time. You're supposed to be in school the whole time it's going to be difficult. So we need to be really patient. And she's like, mama, you know, it's going to be okay. All you need to do, you need to put in the little code and then I'll just do the things. (laughs) I was like, okay. And, um, so I did, and she actually was such a little patient rock star. Um, and she has her little computer. She was in the other room and I could hear her doing part of her PE class. You know, it's, it's like kinetic learning. Um it was there was movement and there was dancing and stuff, but part of it was just turning the microphone button on and off and practicing doing that. Because she's in kindergarten and that's something they've never had to do. And I was just so impressed. I'm like that is genius. Thank you, kindergarten teachers. Um but yeah it has it it's not going to be easy. However, I, I mean I, I'm fortunate enough to have a pretty sweet kid that knows how to be patient and doesn't throw a tantrum um, when things don't go her way but I know that's not the case and I've been thinking a lot about how the burden does just really fall on moms a lot as much as we try to to spread it between moms and dads and everyone else moms just moms take it on because moms
0: (laughs) We just
1: end up getting the things done. <laughs> and I hate to say that. And I hate my my feminist values don't want to say that, um, you know, we're better because I want everybody to just be equal and same and dads can do things just as well. But they don't. <laughs> Even like the most awesome dads just don't and the kids come to the moms and the kids um look to the moms and then society ends up looking to the moms to get these things done and um so then the parents communicate with the moms and i've caught myself doing that too and mostly it's because the mom's name is listed first in our system where we look up phone numbers and um so then i feel like i'm supposed to because they're first on there but was that the mom's choice or was that just the assumption of the school as this the information went in i don't know um but it's become so much more apparent lately. Um, what,
0: support, what supports have been, have have any supports been reached out to you? Has the school, when I mean, you already said you have a better than many, you have a great support network, you have a great daughter, but you're still doing this alone. Has the school reached out and said, hey, what do you need? Has anyone else reached out and said, hey, what do you need other than maybe personal friends and people who you know just wanna help out?
1: Well, thank I mean, her teacher is actually really awesome. We've had a couple of good conversations about just being a teacher (laughs) and how difficult it is. And we've talked to each other about like, feedback. She's like, give me feedback. Tell me what works. Tell me what doesn't. Um, and again, this is the first week really for both of us. So I haven't, I have a list of things I want to tell her, but I'm kind of like giving it to her slow. Um, because I feel like things will probably resolve themselves because mine aren't as a teacher. Um, so just from her, that very direct teacher contact, she's been wonderful. And she's also said, you know what, if she, if Alice doesn't make it to school every single day, every single class, it doesn't matter. It's of Garden. It's fine. Um, like she, she will be fine. Let's just take it as we can. Um, so just getting that permission from her teacher has been, I haven't had to do that, but it's just, it feels good to know like, okay, we can take a breath and we cannot do everything exactly on time or even at all. She has a block in the day where it's like an hour where they're supposed to do their independent stuff. And so she came to me, Alice, it's my daughter's name. Alice said, mama, I'm supposed to do my my work now. I said, you know what, Alice, I have a break too. You want to play? She's like, oh, yeah, let's play. <laughs> so we got out our little fairies and we played and we were able to just do that because I had her teacher's voice in my head that said, chill, like take it, take it when you can. Okay. Um, and I fortunately do have like friends and family that you know, COVID, it's not easy to get all of that help that I normally could, but, um, that I can, I, I more feel it just for those. I mean, I'm I'm divorced and her dad is around, but there's a lot of people who are single mothers that don't have that at all and are trying to do it all. And that's what I feel for.
0: Oh, every time I've, I've had a challenge, um, in my life, I just, Keep thinking about how much easier it is for me to go through those challenges as a you know single dude without you know dependence um, yep. I had a I was thinking about your daughter in kindergarten and you being a teacher and have you been able to look over her shoulder during class yet have you ever been able to see it do you see the other students as well
1: yeah and they all have cameras on so I get to see them
0: yes. right so I'm curious because we, we now have this window into 90 students in our, our middle school students, and you have this extra window into 20 or so kindergarten families. Are their parents over their shoulder? Are they, are the kids off? Are they like, you know, eating paste in the corner? What, what are the kindergartners doing on screen? Well... So
1: not everybody comes to class every day for sure. And um, most of the students that are, most of the kindergarten kids that are there, their parents are with them and they're kind of off in the background sometimes, but you see them come in sometimes, you see them because she's also doing it in Spanish. Um, And so they're kind of helping like, no, you're supposed to and like say it in Spanish and, um, and, Then I think about, okay, well, the kids that aren't there, what's going on, you know, like, are Mm -hmm. they able, are they not there because of something going on at school or their parents just like, don't understand how to do it? Or is it a technological issue or, you know, they're just not even involved in school because it's, it's too hard right now. I don't know. Um, but it is pretty cute. The ones that are there are, the parents are a little bit, they're pretty involved. And I have to actually talked to Alice about that too. I'm like, Hey, do you want me here? Like, I don't, if you, you do the things when I'm not there and she's like, it's okay. Like, I'll come to you if I need help. And, um, cause the first couple of days she really wanted somebody there. And then I was like, but like, if you were at school, we wouldn't be there. And she's like, "Oh yeah," and I and she, I don't know, she that sunk in with her.
0: So you're the solo mom. You're teaching eight thirty to two two o'clock every day. You have a daughter in school, generally the same time. You're calling parents in the evening. We're doing the, well, we maybe not grading quite yet, but we're doing our lesson planning. We're doing all the things that teachers do. That never happens between eight thirty and two, two thirty. How are you feeling at the end of the day?
1: like I want to go lay down on the couch like I want to go have a glass of wine um I actually got a run in today during school like I took a 30 minute run during one of my prep periods because I needed it and it was sunny and I needed to take advantage of that And with all the smoke I hadn't been able to so normally that's how I, that's what I would want to do too. It's like, I just need to bust out and not stare at a screen and go get some fresh air. I don't know, all of those things, depending on the day, if it was a hard day, then I want the wine. If it was not a hard day, um, then my brain just still feels super fuzzy,
0: <sighs> but when I can't wait. do all
1: this. I can do those things today because I don't have my kid.
0: <laughs> right.
1: But when she's right. here, I just am like, okay, Alice, we're going to go do our, we're gonna go, still go outside. Um, and usually we've been, that's been like, let's go on a scooter, run, walk thing and get out. And um, she kind of protests sometimes, but then once we're out, she's like, yes. Okay, thank you, mom. <laughs> she Won't say thank you, mom, but I could, can tell she wants it, you know?
0: What would be the one support you wish you could have, but that is accessible also to everyone?
1: safe childcare. And not, I mean, a safe, like childcare, like somewhere where they could still do the school thing, but also have interaction with kids and, um, not have to have their, you know, parents can do the work that they need to do.
0: It seems to me there's so much that we lie to ourselves about as a society. We don't want to admit that school is childcare, so we don't treat it as childcare, but it really is. We don't want to admit that the social services need to go through, should go through schools, but they do, but we don't actually invest in it because we don't like that model. Something about that model um, makes us feel wrong. School should only be for learning. It shouldn't be our social service. Maybe that's true, but it's not the way it is in the world. And so when we keep lying to ourselves, as a society about where services are coming from, where students are getting touch points, where we're able to see those families who, I hate this term, but can get lost. You know, those undocumented families that may not show up at other places, but they'll show up at school. Those families who um, may not be able to access even some of the free things going on around, but they do go to school and that's our access to hopefully improve the students' lives and possibly their families. But we don't want to admit that to ourselves. I feel like so much of COVID has shown where we've lied to ourselves as a society. With school
1: and then, I mean, again, going back to Black Lives Matter, it's becoming, I mean, that's, we've, some people have known that, that that system is totally broken for a very long time as well. But this, all the protesting is shedding light on all of that. There's, there's huge, huge systems all over that are totally broken. And, um, I don't know, did we talk about this before, but, um, just how, okay, maybe one positive that can come out of all of this, all of the pandemic and crazy fires that are going on and, um, all of the protests is maybe when things get rebuilt they can get rebuilt better
0: yeah i mean we did we just discussed a little bit on how you know maybe possibly bridging the digital divide and things but there is an idea that this should blow up the systems this should blow up the school system this should blow you know the black lives matter protest should blow up the prison industrial complex and the police brutality system and these systems should be blown up. And you're right. Lots of people have known this a long time. I haven't even read about it. But I didn't feel it yeah. until COVID. Right. And it is the middle class, middle aged white people like us who are starting to feel it for the first time. And even that, though we
1: knew about it, we totally knew about it. But yeah, it did not it wasn't there all the time. It
0: wasn't there. And and now that we're feeling it. I mean, you could talk about the structural racism of now. It's being addressed because you know middle-class, middle-aged white people are feeling it. But it's good that it is. Too late, mm-hmm. too little, all that, yes. But you know, it's one of my favorite uh, proverbs. It's one two two best times to ever plant a tree are twenty years ago and today.
1: And better late than never. I mean, exactly. You know, if it's if it's going to happen, it's at some point it might as well be now even though <sighs> but is it going to i don't even want to get into the election and rbg and all of that but who,
0: it's gonna be an yeah. interesting couple of months and when i say interesting i mean frightening and scary and i'm both i'm i'm absolutely terrified and i'm completely invigorated like we gotta fight we got no choice
1: i'm gonna go write some postcards
0: I have two quick questions before we end this. Yes. First question is, what, what should we be doing right now? What should we be doing? What's the first step we can do right now to address some of the things as individuals? We know it's a societal problem. What's an individual thing we could do today? And I'm going to put a little caveat. You can't say vote because we all need to vote. So we, we, I'm, not, I'm not giving you that out. Let's just say voting is definitely one of the things we need to do. What is something else besides voting?
1: Well, I mean, I feel like this is the, the what has been said over and over and over again. And as a language arts teacher, duh. Um, read, educate yourself. Um, you know, as far as the school system, as far as our the uh, racial inequalities and the prison system and all of that, the police system, like, People talk about it and people post their things on social media, but at the very least, you got to educate yourself on what is the background of all of it and what is the history of it and what we can, how we can adjust our brains to really think about making changes. Um, And I feel like that's still where I'm at is still getting information and then we go through changes. I mean, I'm part of the the equity committee at school and we are finally like, we are getting to that point too of like moving beyond the books and um, working to figure out what are those actual problems within our school and what do we wanna do about them. And um, stay tuned for more information on that next week as a side note. so yeah, just educating everybody about the issues
0: first. Right, and I would, I would add on that is educating yourself on how to educate yourself. Media literacy, knowing, I mean, I'm teaching this to my students this week, how to corroborate something, how to find out if that meme you're, you're sharing is true or not, how to look at that social media post and wonder, you know, is this really good information? and being the responsible media consumer and share, only sharing good information. Don't go out there and share bad information.
1: I was asking students if they listen to or watch or read the news. And most of them were like, no, not really. Sometimes my parents do and blah, blah, blah. And then there was like, oh, there's too much fake news. Okay, sure. Um, We can talk about that later. And then also I get my news from Instagram. Right. Yeah. But they're 12. They're 12. Um, but, but good, good on you for working on that. I always get into my, my current events, but hasn't really happened yet.
0: My last question, cause you know, every podcast has to have a shtick or has to have their kind of, you know, their thing. And you know, one of my um, other passions besides education and things is food. So for every guest, I'm going to end the interview with, tell me about a great meal you've had recently and it doesn't have to be just because it was great food. It could be the company. It could be, it doesn't have any home cooked. It could be a restaurant. Just tell me about a great meal and what the context around it was.
1: Hmm. There's been a lot, actually. There's been some really good meals. Um, And the first thing that comes to mind, I feel like I know you've seen this and I've talked to you about this, but my kid and I have been cooking a lot together. And again, she's only five, but she is into it and it's adorable. And she just wants to crack the eggs. She wants to stir things. She wants to mix up meat with her fingers and um, sitting and just really enjoying a plate of empanadas that we created together is just so so satisfying. It fills my heart with so much happiness that she's interested in that. And that is something that we can share together and make our bellies happy and full together.
0: No, that's a great one. And you know, my feeling is that food is a lot more than sustenance. And one of the hardest things about COVID is that our ability to break bread together, our ability to share meals together is something that really connects us. And as we become more divided as a country, as a culture, I think food is going to be one of the ways back because everybody needs to eat. Everybody likes to eat. We can all enjoy a meal together. Almost every, everybody can enjoy a meal together. And thank you all very much for listening to my first ever podcast. Have a great day.